You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. Go to riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here's today's encouraging message from Pastor Chris Tyen. All right, so we're ending the Being Bold series, and today we're talking about the power to be bold because Christ opens doors. So we actually see that the apostles are being persecuted, imprisoned, and then an angel comes and opens the door and sets them free and tells them to proclaim Christ in the, in the public temple area, in the public square, in a public way. And we are often uh, bound up by, by closed doors. So we go through life, and uh, sometimes we're not able to do things because of our lack of education or because of our prior commitments or all these other things, but we can trust that God can call us, that God can prepare us, that God can use us, that Christ can open doors to accomplish His purposes. So in Acts chapter 5, in Acts chapter 4, we, heard, we saw that Peter and John got in trouble after they healed the lame beggar, and then they got in trouble for that. They were told not to be talking about this Jesus thing, that they should just sit down, be quiet, and not cause any trouble. And then they were let out of jail and able to be free again. So they went back to their small group. Uh, they went back to their church folk, and they prayed and came out with even more boldness. And then it talks about believers sharing their possessions. Uh, they were um, teaching and training all these new people that had just gotten saved. And as there was a need, the people that were Christ followers would sell their stuff to provide the needs for the other, a lot of them were long distance travelers, to have a place to stay, to have their needs met while they were trained up and taught about this new way in Jesus. And then they went off to their, their distant lands, the place that they had come from. And then in chapter 5, you see Ananias and Sapphira had lied about giving money and this property, the sale, and then um, they were killed on the spot instantly, and people heard about that. So, a uh, scary thing to lie to the Holy Spirit. And then it talks about the apostles in Acts 5, verse 12, the apostles healing many. I'll start there. The apostles were performing many miracle, miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. But no one else dared to join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats, so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. Verse 17, the high priest and his officials, who were Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. Then he told them, go to the temple, this is the angel saying this, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple as they were told and immediately began teaching. When the high priest and his officials arrived, they convened the high council the full assembly of the elders of Israel. Then they sent for the apostles to be brought from the jail for trial. But when the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone. So they returned to the council and reported the jail was securely locked with the guards standing outside, but when we opened the gates, no one was there. When the captain of the temple guard and the leading priests heard this, they were perplexed, wondering where, where it would all end. 
Then someone arrived with startling news. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple teaching the people. The captain went with his temple guards and arrested the apostles, but without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them. Then they brought out the apostles before the high council, where the high priest confronted them. The high priest says, we gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name. It's interesting, he couldn't say the name of Jesus. Teach in this man's name, he said. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as the prince and savior. As prince and savior, he did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things. So is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. When, the, when they heard this, the high council was furious and decided to kill them. Then this member, this Pharisee, Gamaliel, talks him out of it and says that, you know, if it's really of God, you're not going to be able to do anything against it. But if it's not, it will fade out. So then if you skip down to verse 40, it says, uh, well, Gamaliel said, my advice is leave these men alone. Uh, Then the others accepted his advice, verse 40. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message, Jesus is the Messiah. So the angel opened the door and set them free. And they knew that they could end up right back in jail again. But not only were they ready for that, but they counted themselves after they got flogged, counted themselves worthy to be counted among the name of Jesus, to be worthy to be serving Jesus in that way. That's the kind of power that you receive from the Holy Spirit when God wants you to do something, when God wants you to serve Him, when God wants you to share faith, when God wants you to step up and be a teacher or a leader for Adventure Club or youth group. or We used to have Sunday school. I wonder if we have our own building someday, if we can pull Sunday school off again. Be a small group leader, all of these things. But we can have power to be bold because Christ opens doors. So bold obedience usually triggers opposition. When you are really on fire for Christ and wanting to serve him in the right way, there will often be people around you that aren't very happy about it. Sometimes they might be at your workplace. Sometimes they might be in your family. Sometimes people don't understand. Sometimes your great love for Christ makes people feel really guilty about the sin in their life. Sometimes your light is so bright it exposes the darkness and sin and trash in their life and they don't appreciate it. So Acts 5.18 says they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. Paul had the same problem, 1 Corinthians 16.8. In the meantime, I'll be staying here at Ephesus until the festival of Pentecost. There is a wide open door for a great work here, although many oppose me. And you can be sure that if you are serving the Lord, that you will face some type of difficulty, some type of persecution, spiritual attack. It's just what happens when we're in a spiritual war. And there's often persecution, there's often death. There are Christians being killed all around the world right now. People, Voice of the Martyrs reports that there's more people being killed now for their faith than ever before. So Hebrews 11 and Luke 14 talk about that. So Hebrews 11 talks about the heroes of the faith. And it lays out how these people are persecuted, how they were sought in two, all of these difficulties they went through. But then it also comments that the world was not worthy of them. So that the world wasn't worthy 
of their great faith in God. And we hopefully won't have to endure that. I mean, I don't know of anybody that suffered that much persecution for their faith right now. We all have a fear that we're going to be rejected. We all have a fear that we'll be misunderstood. We have a fear that when we try to share Christ in our lives, that it won't be warmly, warmly welcome or accepted. And sometimes that makes us be quiet. Sometimes that makes it so that we don't want to um, participate or share. But in Luke chapter 14, Jesus talked about the cost of being a disciple. And he says, if you want to be my disciple... You must, by comparison, hate everyone else, your father, your mother, your wife, your children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life, otherwise you can't be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. And then he talks about um, counting the cost and um, how someone who's going to build the building counts the cost before he builds it. So you can read that. But, so this doesn't mean that we're supposed to hate our children, but it does mean that we're supposed to prioritize the things of God over our family. So we should first have love for God, then love for husband and wife, and then love for children, and then it works down the, the priority list. But we put God first. Sometimes that's tested when you really want to live for God, and maybe someone in your family is totally against it, and then you have to make a choice. Are you going to make God happy, or are you going to keep you know, your parents happy? Sometimes people won't come to worship in our church, even adult children, because what will my parents think? Because we're from this other kind of religion, and I can't, I can't go to your church because what will my parents think? It's like, well, you're an adult now. You should choose. So anyway, persecution and death. Bold obedience usually triggers opposition. Now, I don't know what type of opposition that you've experienced before. I do remember that I was, uh, before I got into full-time ministry, before I actually made a choice to pursue God in, in full-time ministry, I had some difficulties at work. I was always trying to share Christ with people. Sometimes I'd wear some really bold Christian t-shirts. Uh, I'd often have my Bible around. Um, interestingly enough, I, I found it on the shelf while I was preparing for this message. It's an eelskin New Testament that was given to me by my wife in 1989. And she wrote in the front of it, it's almost 30 years ago. She writes, I hope that each day we will learn more about our Lord through his word and keep him in the center of our marriage always. So she wrote that. And so I would, I had this at work, I've got the plan of salvation here, I've got all the verses marked out, I've got this ready reference map thing here, so I'm ready to answer anybody's question that I might not know the answer to. The thing flips out, it looks like a road map, and it flips out. And so I had this thing, and then it disappeared. It just disappeared off my desk, I had no idea where it went. And I had worked at this company for eight years, and uh, this was primarily the Bible I would use to share Christ with the people at work and whatnot, not during work time, but during my break and other times. And uh, a few years, I've worked there for eight years, but so I lost it. I didn't know where it went. And then like six, seven years later, they were moving a machine and they're like, hey, we were moving this machine. And I'd never really been over by that machine. I mean, it's like way on the other side of the optical lab. And they're like, we found this. So I'm like, huh, I wonder if somebody grabbed it and chucked it. While I was there, somehow somebody started sending me, sending me the, the catalog that you order the Satanic Bible and stuff from, too. That started to come in the mail. So I'm not really sure who I offended, but they surely weren't happy with uh, what I was doing, I guess, because they sent me weird stuff, and they took my Bible. And I was looking at the things that I chose to highlight in this Bible. I mean, if you take my Bible, I'll just go get another one, and I did. I highlighted a lot of stuff that had to do with enduring in Christ and trusting in Christ and obeying Christ's commands. 
answers to prayer, and again, the whole plan of salvation. And somehow I, I can't, it's got like disappearing ink now, but I wrote Joshua 1, 8, 9 in the front, but you can only see it if you see the light just in a certain way. It really shows where I was at uh, in that period of my life before I fully made a decision to go into full-time ministry. And it's interesting that if you look back on your life, you can see uh, how God has worked and how God has moved and how God gives you opportunities. And when you're faithful in a little thing, it seems to open the door for greater things. When you're faithful to serve in a little way, it seems like God opens the door, then gives you experience and opens the door for you to serve in a greater way. So bold obedience usually triggers opposition. So maybe it's the people you're trying to reach. Maybe it's people in your neighborhood. Maybe it's family members, people at work, often opposition. Now you want to be uh, opposed not because you're a jerk or because you're rude or because you're shouting at people with a megaphone, but you want to be proclaiming the true message of Christ. Have them reject the message of Christ, not the messenger. However, sometimes we go out of our way to be so kind, so nice, that it's like we're living this lifestyle evangelism. So we don't really want to tell them we're a Christian. We're just going to act like a Christian. Like someday they're going to figure it out and go, oh, you're so nice because you're a Christian. Oh, what must I do to be a Christian? Instead, you've got to share, you got to be, got to be Christ-like, and you have to share the message of Christ so that they know what they must do to be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So bold obedience often releases God's miracles. During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. So they were being faithful. They were put in jail. Angel pops the door open and says, hey, you get back out there and start sharing this message. Now, this is not a passage that says every time you go to jail for Christ, the door is always going to pop open and there's never going to be any trouble. Because if you trace the life of the apostles after this, uh, end up in jail, Paul's in captivity. I think it's probably good he was in captivity because he wrote a lot of the Pauline epistles. Um, John gets sent to this island, and maybe it's good he's there because he writes Revelation. But um, jail, prison, persecution, I believe uh, Peter was uh, crucified on a cross upside down. Um, no one really knows exactly how John died. There's, some think he was boiled in oil, uh, other things. So they did go through persecution, but at this time, because they were in God's plan at that time, that the angels opened the door, which is funny because the Sadducees were really upset about it, and the Sadducees didn't really believe in angels. So God is giving the apostles at this time full authority saying, we're back in, I'm back and giving you, you know you're doing the right thing because I just totally gave you credibility because an angel just let you out and told you what to do. Total credibility because you're doing all these miracles, healing all these people in Jesus' name, and Peter, even Peter's shadow is healing people, and that gives you total credibility that this message is true. And so they're out sharing their faith. They're out there living for Jesus. They're out there teaching as the Holy Spirit leads them in doing great things and bold obedience often releases God's miracles. When I think of God's miracles in my life, I can't think of a time when the door of anything actually, you know, I was in jail and the door opened. You know, there's been times in my life where I was financially bound and then the door opened. You know, it's like, oh, if I could just sell this house, we could move and do this. Or if we could just change this, or if I could get this degree, I could do this. And so there was a time in our life when my wife and I had made a commitment to tithe. And the Bible talks a lot about giving, and we should give to the Lord. However, I don't think that 10% is a hard and fast rule for everybody. I mean, not everybody can afford that, and 
you should work your way up to that. That's a good standard. But some people have way more than that and can give even more than that. And if you've got that many resources, it would be weird if you just gave God 10% when you should figure out instead not how much uh, to give God and keep the rest for yourself. Instead, you should figure out how much do you need and then what can you use to further God's kingdom. So some promises that I've held on to that God's been really faithful with is when you put God first, that God can provide. 2 Corinthians 9.10, For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. And I found that we started to give and um, that I got, a raise, I got a promotion and a raise at work that I wasn't expecting that covered the giving. And that was a great confirmation that we were doing the right thing. There's been times where I've had to provide for certain needs that I didn't really have the money for. But I remember one time I had given somebody, I don't remember what it was, they needed something. I gave them like $70 or something like that. Like, I, that, doesn't come, that doesn't fit in my budget this, this month, this week. And I gave them $70 bucks and I can was it maybe two days later, I received a check, like some kind of class action lawsuit check for some kind of brake lawsuit on a car that I used to own a long time ago for 70 bucks. It was just really weird. But uh, it's like, thanks, God. But to trust God, those are actually financial miracles when God opens the door. So as you know, uh, I believe this is a defining point in my life, a defining moment that brought me to this point. If I had made the wrong choice, I wouldn't be here today, I don't think. But I was working for this company, this optical place, and they wanted me to go to school for marketing. And they literally told me, and some of you that have been here have heard this a million times, literally told me that they would pay for me to go to school. So they said, if you go to the University of Minnesota to get an advanced marketing degree, we will pay for you to sit in class. We will pay for you to do your homework. And when you're not doing that, then come here and work. And we will pay for you to get a degree. But I have felt that God had called me to ministry when I was... Uh, in high school, I had received Christ as my Lord and Savior, and then I was praying, what should I do with my life? What should I do? And I, I asked God to show me what I should do with my life, and it was during that time I felt that he had called me to full-time ministry. And that's why I was so frustrated that I wasn't in Bible college for those eight years when I was working at that company. But actually, in those wilderness years, like Moses had his wilderness years, God taught me things that I would need to know for ministry. But instead of giving into their offer, because I thought to myself, you know, I could get that marketing degree, and then I could serve Christ as a volunteer. That's not really what God called me to do. But I could do it, and maybe that's the right thing to do. What a great offer. I mean, that's unheard of. I should, I should maybe do this. And I prayed about it, and I came to the conclusion that if I had come to the end of my life, sitting on the, sitting on the steps of the retirement home, looking back on my life, how I spent my life, if I hadn't tried to serve Christ for at least 20 years, I felt I would have wasted my life. So instead of choosing marketing school, I uh, made a bigger commitment to ministry school and started taking classes from two different Bible colleges. And they weren't happy about that. So they demoted me, but they gave me a raise. And so God worked it out as a miracle that I made the choice that I believe God wanted me to make. And uh, he provided for me. I thought I'd lose my job in marketing. And um, instead, they, provi they pr provided more money and less time out thinking about work uh, so I just did what I needed to do till I graduated from Bible college and then and got into school. But it was a defining moment. It was totally a miracle. Uh, there's been houses that needed to be sold and things that needed to be purchased. And as we've tracked through life, we've seen that as we've stepped up to what God wants us to do at the time, that he answers prayer. He provides in a way. And you can trust 
that as you're walking in God's will, when he calls you to do things, as you step out in faith, that he will answer, that he will provide. Sometimes it seems like you need to step out in faith first, and then God provides. Sometimes you don't see the way, you don't know how it's going to work out, but you just know it's a God thing, and you're just going to trust, and you're just going to do it. So bold obedience opens doors. It's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So I assume you believe God exists, but do you trust in the promises of his word? Do you, do you stand in the promises of his words and look forward to the rewards that he gives you as you seek him? And my favorite verse, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So if you're lacking things, are you living all for Jesus? Are you seeking the kingdom of God above all else, spending time in his word, praying about the things that you need? So bold obedience always requires faith. So they were released from prison. Sometimes when you have a prison experience, my guess is that once you're out, you don't want to go back. So you're like, okay, they said if we didn't cause any more trouble, we won't have to go back to jail. Sounds good to me. I'm going on vacation. You'd be like Jonah and go the opposite direction, but then you get puked up by a large fish and that, that doesn't work out very well. But So Acts 5.20, go stand in the temple courts, the angel says, and tell the people the full message of this new life. And they did that. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. So they did immediately what they were told. As soon as the place was open, they were there proclaiming Christ, like the angel said. So delayed obedience is disobedience. So if God tells you to do something and you don't, then sometimes you miss the timing of it all. Uh, I had mentioned that I got woken up at 3 in the morning to lock the ministry center door. I think it was the, the red moon or whatever. I wanted to take a picture of it. I was going to the ministry center. I thought to myself, I should stop, take a picture of that while it's right there because it looks really cool. Anyway, so I went to the ministry center, did that thing, and came back, and I was ready to take my picture, but it was gone. I missed out. And sometimes when God wants you to do something, he wants you to do it now because that opportunity is not going to be there later. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. What if God had called me to full-time ministry, but I had gotten the marketing degree and said, you know, God, I'm going to do this because I trust me more than you. I'm going to get that marketing degree, and then you can use it for good things. That would be disobedience. That would be partial obedience. Acts 5.28, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. So how do you know you're called to ministry? Often you have this feeling upon your heart. Uh, some, maybe sometimes people will come alongside and encourage you that, you know, I could see God using you in ministry. Sometimes you have opportunities and you take them. And the more you serve, the more you see how God has gifted you. A lot of times it's just this burning desire that you know that you wouldn't be happy doing anything else. So we could talk more about that sometime. But bold obedience opens doors. We have no idea what comes tomorrow. So I don't know for my life, you know, will I be healthy tomorrow? Will I be, will I be here tomorrow? Will I get hit by a bus today? I don't know. James 4.13 says, look here, you who say today or tomorrow, we're going to a certain town and we'll stay there for a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. So Isaiah 38, you can read that on your own time, talks about uh, Hezekiah. Uh, God tells him to get his life in order because it's about to end. 
So then Hezekiah prays, Lord, I've been so faithful. I've done all these things. Would you please not take my life? So then God sends Isaiah the prophet back to him and says, all right, tell him he's got another 15 years. So then he's like, oh, thank you. I've learned so much from this. Then some guests from Babylon come. And Hezekiah is like, oh, yeah, thanks for coming, guys. Oh, you come from a faraway place. Oh, yeah, I'm living large. You should see all the stuff I have. So he did. He showed them everything, armory, all the gold, everything. And Isaiah comes along and says, what did you just do? Oh, I had some guests. Showed them some stuff from a faraway land. So the Lord says that they're going to come back. They're going to take it all. What does Hezekiah say? He said, oh, that's not going to be in my lifetime. Cool. He's so selfish. So selfish. And we don't know what our life is like, but we should be sold out to Jesus. We should live for Jesus from day to day. So consider all of your resources that can open doors. Some of us think we don't have much. You know, it's like, well, we have debt, or we're bound by this job, or we've got all these kids to raise, or, you know, I don't have that education. Um, you know, some people have, you know, degrees for ministry, like four, eight years of degrees in ministry. Other people go through this ministerial studies program that the Christian Missionary Alliance has, and they don't even go to college. They just take the ministerial studies program stuff, and they get licensed for ministry and ordained in ministry. So there's many different ways to serve the Lord. There's many different ways to get trained up in resources. And there's, I sometimes just sit there and watch Right Now Media. You know, I just like scan the new videos and see what's good out there. And Chip Ingram videos are really good. And so he's got this one, uh, the greatest resource, he says, the greatest resource treasure that the God of the universe has entrusted to you are the promises of God, he said. And think about that. Think of all the promises of God, and that is the greatest resource that you have to stand on. He says that biblical stewardship equals believing the promises of God, deploying the resources of God, and accomplishing the mission of God. And that's found in the video series, Reimagine Stewardship on Right Now Media. I think I put a link to it on the church Facebook page. So I'm going to show you two videos. They're like two minutes each. And one of them is from the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And what they are is they're missionaries and pastors and people that are serving full-time. And they're telling, they're asked the question, when was it that God called you to serve him in full-time ministry? The video after that is the video clip that's at the end of the first episode of the video series I just told you about. So watch this, you'll be encouraged. I was on a short-term mission trip in uh, Las Calabas, Haiti, when I felt God was calling me to world missions. I was 15 years old and I was sitting in my bedroom reading scripture and I heard the voice of the Lord say, go. I was uh, in the basement of my house in uh, Maryland. I was sitting at, at the crossing. Uh, it's a Hispanic church in downtown Colorado Springs, and we were watching our home assignment missionaries. 21 years old, leading worship at a teen camp for about 400 teenagers. I was 14 years old in a refugee camp along the Thailand-Cambodia border. Yeah, I was uh, working in Alabama as a forester at the time while I attended Prattville Alliance Church. And one day I was out in the woods by myself and listening to a Christian radio broadcast. I was at a missions conference at the First Alliance Church in Tekoa, and I absolutely did not want to be there. I was 22 years old, uh, studying at the university in Beirut, Lebanon. Uh, I was 21 years old, and I was sitting in the front seat at Nayak College at the chapel. 
Um, I was in kindergarten living in upstate New York, and I remember telling my friends that I was going to be a missionary because that was what God was calling me to do. I was 12 years old in Uniontown, Pennsylvania, flying a kite with our resident missionary. I was seven years old, and it was in the small uh, Chinese church that I grew up in, in El Monte, California. I was 13 years old, sitting in a missions conference service at my Hope Church in Elysburg, Pennsylvania. In 2008, I was called to become a pastor. Um, I was in downtown Pittsburgh. I was at Crown College in St. Bonifacius, Minnesota. I was 19. 2006, Wesley Chapel, Florida. Port Opens, Haiti. I was like 17. Lakeview Chapel, Big Sandy Camp, McGregor, Minnesota. Life Conference 2010 in a main session um, in Louisville, Kentucky. 20 years old at The Ohio State University. I was 18 years old in the year 2000 in Tampa, Florida at Council at my brother's commissioning service. Uh, I was first called uh, at 25 in a church in New Buffalo, Pennsylvania at New Buffalo Alliance Church. I was at a missions conference at Christ Community Church in Fort Myers, Florida when I was in eighth grade. It was my junior year in high school at a youth specialties conference in St. Louis. I was seven years old, my first summer at Mid-State Baptist Camp in upstate New York. I was 12 years old, attending a missions conference at the Alliance Church in Mount Lake, Minnesota, and I turned to my brother and said, God wants me to serve him. We are all creatures of flesh and dreams. For as long as we can remember, we've seen visions of what our lives might be. We've felt a stirring deep within, a sense that we're summoned to a grander mission, but we're afraid. We wonder if what is against us is stronger than what is for us. Imagine you were asked to write up your own personal balance sheet with assets on one side and liabilities on the other. You might start by listing a home and car, accounts and investments and earning potential on the asset side. And you might have a mortgage and car payments, school debt and credit card debt on the liabilities side, along with all the costs of supporting yourself and your family. If you're like most people, your liabilities loom large, and you wish your assets loomed larger than they did. The world tells you you're on your own, that scarcity rules the earth, and peril plots against you. So you make financial decisions with a fragment of fear in your heart. But what if your balance sheet is dramatically different than you think? What if there are unseen assets and unseen liabilities that could alter the entire equation? If you included your spiritual assets, the balance sheet would change. You have gifts and talents, character and a calling, and a community that will support you in times of trial. If you were to include your theological assets, the balance sheet might well explode. Could there be a more formidable asset than the God of the universe? The same God who created the cosmos and called it to order is for you. And if that same God is so fully for you that He sent His Son to die for you, what is there to fear? We have promises from the most trustworthy source in the universe that God will honor those who humble themselves, will repay whoever is generous with the poor, will provide for those who seek first His kingdom. When we believe these promises, we're liberated to deploy all things for His mission and His kingdom. How would your life be different if you believed, without the slightest shadow of doubt, that God would fulfill every last promise? 
All right, so I'd really encourage you to watch that series on Right Now Media. But think about it. What's one thing that God is asking you to do right now? And what will be your next step in boldly obeying Him? What's keeping you from boldly obeying God? And how will you go about removing these barriers? Consider a time when you didn't obey God completely. And immediately, what did you learn from your experience? So we have many opportunities before us. And you know, maybe it's not a life-changing career ministry choice. Maybe it is a choice to trust God more with your time. Because you're so busy and your schedule is so full and you think to yourself, how in the world can I even find time to read God's Word? But to trust Him, to put God first with your time and allow God to help make up some of that time during your day. Some of those time wasters might be condensed if you put God first. To pray about your needs as you need them. To be ready to share your faith with others. To keep growing and to keep asking God, what is it that He wants you to do with your day uh, not even, you can ask about your life too, but even with your day, wake up in the morning and say, God, I'm alive. Here I am. What shall we do today? How can I glorify you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you have given us so many resources and you've given us your word. Lord, we thank you that you can do miraculous things when you choose to. Lord, we do not know our, the length of our lives or what will happen in our lives. Lord, there's good things, there's bad things, but we don't know how it all plays out but you are in control and we trust you and we seek you and we ask for your help and we thank you and glorify you when you answer and you provide. So Lord, we pray that we would draw closer to you and that we would see how you're at work. And we thank you for the testimonies of all these people that are serving in full-time ministry that we just saw. And we pray that you would raise up from this church pastors and missionaries and uh, Christian teachers and evangelists and disciplers and women's and men's group leaders and uh, all these different things. We ask and people for the worship team and all these things, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand as we sing our way out. Before I do, I, I want to talk about being bold. Um, this week, you're going to hear on the news, and you're going to see pictures all over the place, because Senator John McCain uh, passed away. Four days before his 82nd birthday, uh, succumbed to cancer, uh, brain cancer that he had. And it's a reminder to me personally that we don't know how long our, our loved ones, people that we care about, are going to live. They can be gone tomorrow. We, we don't know. And so we need to be bold in sharing our faith. The song we're going to sing, Jesus Wept, uh, is a song I wrote when... Uh, I was doing a message on how God has used music in my life as a comfort and a strengthening. And I was just grabbing verses out of the Bible, and I thought, well, can I write a song about the shortest verse in the Bible? And Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible. You can all memorize that one. Um, but uh, Jesus wept because people were choosing not to follow him. We have the opportunity to share with people and sometimes only for a short time. And if we are timid, they may miss the opportunity of coming to know Jesus Christ and spending eternity with him. And Jesus cries over that. And, and we should cry too when our lost friends and people that we know refuse to come to Christ. Thanks for listening. It would be great if you would let us know how you were encouraged by this message. We invite you to visit River Rock Church, 10 a.m. Sundays at 330 South Market Street in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. 
You can connect with us, find more messages to listen to, and get resources to help you grow in your faith at riverrockchurch.com.